0: Uh, Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for who you are and what you've done. Um, I thank you that you have graciously provided for us and care for us. And you have given us technology that we can still meet and gather and connect. And you have given us worship um, and singing and words that we can honor you, Lord. Thank you for your scriptures. Help us to honor you today um, and receive something from you this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So today, as you all know, today is the start of Advent. Uh, Which is the Christmas season. Usually we'll talk about, uh, you know, Joseph, Mary, uh, the shepherds, all of that good stuff. But, fun fact as Shannon has already talked about, Mark is the only gospel that skips all of those things. (laughs) It doesn't talk about any of those things because Mark just gets right to the point and he just gets right in it. And so I'm just going to give a quick summary. If you haven't been able to join us for the last uh, few weeks or uh, months, I just want to catch you up really quick on Mark. We're on chapter 2. And I think it's been probably about like two months or so. So maybe by 2022, we'll be done with Mark. So at some point, you'll hear a little bit of Mark and a little bit of what we have. Uh, Mark jumps right in. And and why I want to summarize it is because it's important as we talk about uh, today's message, which is totally applicable applicable to our Advent season. Uh, Mark starts and talks about John the Baptist. So John the Baptist is already born. He starts off with this ministry After that, Jesus is baptized. Uh, Jesus then calls his first disciples, Andrew and Simon. Jesus then drives out a spirit. He heals Mary's mother. He heals a lot more other people. He then heals a leper and a paralyzed person. Um, And then he also calls Levi the tax collector, which we talked about um, last week, I believe. And so he's kind of done all of these things in his ministry. And so he's done quite a bit of things. And there are also things that he hasn't done or that he has done that we haven't talked about. Uh, But today we're going to talk specifically, we're going to hang out in Mark chapter 2, if you want to grab your Bible, starting in verse 18. So we're just going to hang out in five verses today, if I can count correctly, five or six, somewhere in there, and we're just going to hang out in this piece of Mark chapter 2 and see kind of what God has for us. So let's just jump right in, starting in verse 18, it says this, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees, we're fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? What I feel like this question is for the Pharisees, it's like a gotcha question. Like, like hey, we're so religious and your disciples are not fasting. Something must be wrong here. So if I ask you this question, you have to either say that fasting isn't important, right? Or and then you're just wrong, right? If, if that's your response. But what does Jesus say? Before we get into that, let's talk about what fasting was. For the Pharisees, fasting was really important. In the Old Testament, there was one specific day of fasting, although there were many others, uh, which was the Day of Atonement. And so, this was kind of the primary day that everyone would fast. And it was about six months after the Passover. Um, and maybe like the Passover, they looked forward to remembering what Jesus did for them when he saved them and rescued them from the Egyptians. The day of the atonement was more so focusing on your sin and repentance and turning away from whatever you were doing in mourning and in sadness and in difficulty and with great hardship, right? Coming to Jesus in these moments and fasting for a specific amount of time. And on that day, you wouldn't do any work because it was a Sabbath. um, And you would try to honor God as much as possible on the day of atonement. And then furthermore, what the Pharisees did is they took this commandment of fasting and they kind of morphed it into something uh, for them to please God. So what they started doing is they would then fast two days a week, uh, which was usually the second and fourth days of the week. So if we had Pharisees now, they would fast on like Tuesday or Thursday, or depending if you see Sunday as the first day, they would fast two days out of the week to show that they were spiritual, to show that they were connected to God and to show their piety or like uh, how faithful they were to Jesus. And this is what they did. But Jesus' disciples never fasted. There was no recording of them fasting when they were with Jesus. Uh, I had a friend in high school who would fast pretty frequently. His name was, uh, I guess I won't say his name because maybe he's watching. You never know now that we're live streamed. Uh, but he would fast often and there was this. But it was really interesting when he would fast, because he would, like, once a week he would fast, and then, um, and he would just kind of do that, and, and he got really comfortable doing it, and he was just kind of uh, leaning in on what Jesus had for him. And then there was this one day where he was like, okay, I'm finally going to go for it. I'm going to fast three days this week, three days in a row. I was like, dude, you're crazy. Like, that's a long time. and He's like, I'm going to do it. And so he set up all this stuff, and then when he was done, I asked him, how was it? Like, what did you do? And then he said, "Oh well, I kind of just played video games all day because I was hungry and wanted to distract myself, and I didn't want to think about the fact that I wasn't eating." And in the same way of him fasting, although he fasted three days, which is awesome, he didn't really connect with Jesus, so he sort of missed the point, right? And in the same way, these Pharisees, although they were fasting, they sort of missed the point, which is our first thing: is Jesus made a big statement. When his disciples did not fast. So what was the big statement that he was making? And I think for Jesus, when you read all throughout the Gospels, and and especially Mark, he likes to disrupt people a little bit. In their normal daily lives, he likes to do things that people don't normally do. And he likes to say things that people won't normally say. And so when he uh, doesn't have his disciples fast, he's really saying something really huge. And as we've already read in the Gospel of Mark, in many moments, Jesus has done a lot of things to disrupt the way that people think about fasting or other things, and here are just a few examples. When Jesus started off his ministry, he called his own disciples. He wasn't ordained by any person, right? He wasn't called by any church. He wasn't called by any religious group. It was God the Father who called him and the Spirit who came upon him, and then he started his ministry. But nobody said, hey, Jesus, it's probably a good idea that you call some disciples. He didn't have a degree, right? He wasn't educated. He wasn't in the synagogue 24-7, but yet he called his own disciples. When he drove out the Spirit, that's huge. Often people sometimes would just leave it or don't worry about it, but Jesus approached the Spirit and talked to the Spirit and had authority over it. Jesus allowed the cutter to be healed. What does this mean? Uh, So as you know, I'm from SoCal, and if you ever live in SoCal, there are a few things that you have to do. One of the things that you have to do is you have to get a Disneyland pass. There's like no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You have to do it. But one of the most frustrating things about being at Disneyland is let's say you're on, in line for Space Mountain and you're waiting a long time and you see on the left there are always two lanes or two lines to get into the actual ride. One is for everybody and everyone just kind of stands in line. The other are the, for the responsible people or for the people who have fast passes. And there's nothing more frustrating when you're in a line for something and there were people that were smarter and thought about it, and they have a fast pass, and they skip you in line. So your wait that should have been 20 minutes is now 40 minutes because you see all these people just going in front of you. And the story of when Jesus healed the person who uh, made the hole in the roof, like there were people outside the home that tried to get in, but yet when that person came down, he healed him, which is kind of interesting. The next thing that Jesus did to disrupt people and their thinking is he touched lepers. He healed lepers, which is so interesting because nobody would talk to them. They would just be quarantined and live life and die and be forgotten, but Jesus didn't do so. And the last thing that we talked about where Jesus disrupts people is he loved and employed a Jewish tax collector, someone who worked from Rome, an enemy of the state, someone who stole from people, someone who was evil and mean um, and terrible to his own family. Jesus saw him and loved him and called him to be a follower of the gospel. And what this is all saying is Jesus here is being very intentional with the words he's going to use when he responds to this question and when he talks about fasting. And here is Jesus' response in verse 19, and it says this. Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. If we look at this answer, this does not look like a satisfactory answer. Like this does not get into what Jesus is really trying to share, but also it's really interesting in how he responds. Here's what he is doing when he's saying, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot. So long as they have them with him. What he's saying is, he is the bridegroom, which means he's the husband in this story. That means who are the people? Who is he marrying? His people, the church, the Jews. So, what he's saying is something very huge, but I don't think that they understood it at the time. Then he goes on and he says, There's no need to fast or mourn right now because I am with you, Jesus in person, in flesh. I am with you. Like the day of the atonement was set apart for you to mourn and reflect on your sin. Here Jesus is saying, you don't have to because I am with you. But then he leaves off and he says, but one day I will be gone. It will be sad and it will be difficult and it will be hard. But on that day you will fast. And this is our second point, which is don't lose sight of Jesus. Don't lose sight of Jesus So many many things in this world can distract us from who we are, from what God has called us to do, um, and to go out there and do it. For Sarah and I, we have one criteria uh, that you need to meet if, if we determine if we go to a wedding and it's a good wedding. There's only one criteria we have, and that criteria is the food. If the wedding has good food, Sarah and I think it's the best wedding ever. We've been to weddings where people have catered in and out, where they have taco guys, like all of this good stuff. And if you have good food, like I'm satisfied. But what Jesus is saying is I actually have the wrong criteria. He says none of those things matter at a wedding, but what matters is the bridegroom. That's important. The food doesn't matter. What people are wearing doesn't matter. None of those things matter except for the people that are getting married. And so here Jesus is saying, don't lose sight of who I am and what I've done. And as we all know, when Jesus was here, when he was in flesh with the disciples, they did not fast, but he ends off and he says, but they will fast on the day that I am gone. And when Jesus died on the cross, took all of our sin, rose from the dead, that's when the disciples started to fast. And here are just a few examples. When Paul the Apostle, then named Saul, met Jesus on the road to Damascus, he fasted for three days, and he prayed for three days. Peter, before he was off to Cornelius' home to a Gentile, he was praying and he was fasting. The disciples prayed over Paul and Barnabas before they were sent off to go plant churches and start churches around the world. When the disciples returned to Antioch in Acts 14, they all prayed and they fasted and they rejoiced at what God had for them. And here, when the Pharisees are asking, why are your disciples not fasting? John's disciples are doing it. The Pharisees are doing it. Everyone is doing it. It's prescribed in the Old Testament. We even do it twice a week. We're religious. We know what's going on. Why are your disciples not fasting? When Jesus says there's no need to because the bridegroom is here, is he says, focus on me. It's not about the fasting. It's about me, and something great and amazing is here. So don't lose sight of Jesus in everything that we do, in your commitment in your requirements, in your church responsibilities, in your homes, and what you have to do on a day-to-day basis. Don't lose Jesus or miss Jesus in everything that we do. The Pharisees were so focused on fasting and the discipline of doing so that they missed God. They completely missed him in their fasting. Because here is Jesus in human form coming to them and talking to them and with them, and yet they missed him because they're so focused on simply fasting. If we're to be open in a safe place right now, and I know none of you will share, but I also struggle in my daily life by doing things for Jesus, but yet missing Jesus at the same time. Sometimes in youth ministry or young adult ministry or church life, sometimes I can be so focused on programs that I miss Jesus, who's ultimately the goal. Earlier, Gladys said the two greatest things that God has called us to, right, is to love him and love others. That's the mission of the church. That is what God has called us to do and a people that he desires us to be. But so often we can be the Pharisees and ask, why are you not fasting? Why are the lights a certain way? Why does the band sound this way? Why is this the order of worship? Why, why, why when we miss the point? when we miss Jesus in doing all of those things. And I am super guilty of this in what I do. And I have the, the um, I get the opportunity to serve Jesus and to serve all of you in this aspect, being the youth and young adult director. But sometimes when I'm doing youth and young adult things, I can get so focused on things that we have to do where I miss Jesus. And so when the Pharisees were asking, why are your disciples not fasting? I totally saw me and them. And I get caught up in the small things and the little things instead of the mission that God has called us to do and to be. And this is how Jesus ends his verses. And he says this, and he gives two quick examples to the Pharisees when they ask the question. He says this, No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins and both the wine and wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. Here we have two different things. We have an old wineskin and a new wineskin. We have an old cloth and a new cloth. The patch of unshrunk cloth, the new cloth, And the new wine represent a new reality, which is Jesus and his kingdom coming here. The old cloth and the old wineskin in this context is talking about the old way of fasting, which was primarily a fasting that wasn't about Jesus and wasn't focused on God, but was more focused on fulfilling our religious duties as people. So, we should be excited. So, when Jesus is saying a new wineskin is here and a new cloth is here, he is saying that there is a new kingdom, that there is a new covenant, that you don't need to get to me through the law. You can get to me through grace and grace alone. And our distant, broken relationship is going to be restored, not because you are coming and providing a new wineskin or a new cloth. Because Jesus is providing the new wineskin and the new cloth. He is coming and saying, you couldn't do it, but I can and I will. Because God's kingdom is now, and it's right here, and it's with us, and it's not far away, and it's not far off. He's saying, whatever your old wineskins and old cloths were, they won't work. Right? They won't work. So when Jesus says, come to us, he says, come to us humbly. Humbly ex- go to the throne of grace, which is Jesus. And so when the, he was saying this, really what he was saying is something great will happen. Don't miss it. But now that we are post-Jesus' resurrection, we can look back and see that what Jesus was saying was something great happened. Did you miss it? Because so often we can get caught up and all the things that we need to do. And primarily here, Jesus is talking about fasting. So with a new wine, that demands new fasting. But good thing Jesus also gave us the prescription on what to do for that as well. And to be attitudes, Jesus says, but when you fast, do blank, blank, blank. What he's saying is when you fast, because he will call us to fast. And what, there's no greater season or time to fast than Advent. I don't know about you, but I love Christmas. And my wife and I, Sarah, we have already decorated our house Christmas, and it's all complete, and it's done. Uh, And we did that about a week ago because we love to celebrate Christmas, and we love the Christmas tree. We love the lights. Uh, And there are these specific lights that I put on my Christmas tree every year that I've had since I was four years old. They were my grandma's, and when my grandma passed, I was able to have them. And when we put them around the tree, most of the bulbs don't even work. Um, And a few of them flicker, and some of them don't. But when you plug it in, it also comes with a sound box. And on the sound box, it, like, plays the tune of, like, your favorite Christmas, like, songs. And whenever I plug it in, the first thing I think about is Christmases with my grandma and my family when I was younger. And I just get to enjoy it. And sometimes I'll just leave it on, and I have nothing else on, and just listen to it. And it just provides peace, and it provides comfort, and it provides, like, me thinking of times with family and memories. At the same time, what Christmas does is it distracts us. It distracts us from who Jesus is and what he's called us to do. In the same way in the story, when the Pharisees are so focused on fasting instead of focused on Jesus, during this Advent season, we can get so caught up in the things that we need to do and miss Jesus at the same time. So when Jesus is saying new wineskins are here, he is still calling us in the New Testament to fast. What he, what he then goes on, he says, but don't fast like the Pharisees fast, right? Who put, who put ashes on their head and wear sackcloth and let everybody know that that's what they're doing. But he says, when you fast, do it in secret. And that is what Jesus has called us to do. Now let's talk about a little bit more broadly on this idea of Jesus saying, if you attach old cloth to a new cloth, it'll tear. And if you bring old wineskins to new wineskins, it's going to burst, and it's not even going to be valuable. I think a lot of the times, although Jesus offers us the new wine, which is grace and hope and forgiveness and a newness of life, often we settle for the old wineskin, and we settle for the old cloth. And we take whatever we thought would work or whatever used to work back in the day and we try to have it fit what Jesus' new covenant and newness brings. Here is a perfect example. I don't know if you're like me, but I love checklists. I love checklists only, though, when I finish them. If I have a checklist that isn't finished, sometimes I'll just throw it away and act like I never wrote it just because I want to complete my checklist. And in the same way, when it comes to my relationship with God, sometimes I see it as if it's a checklist. I see, okay, if I do all of these things, I will then honor God, and God will then be pleased with me. So let's go over our checklist. And you can, maybe you're like me, or maybe you're not like me, but sometimes I'll think of what God has commanded us to do, and I'll ask, have I done those or not? And so the first one is, did I steal today? So we can all ask, did we steal something today? Some of you may answer, well, my kid's Christmas or Halloween candy probably doesn't count, right? Because they shouldn't even have it anyway. So no, no, I did not steal today. Did you murder today? Maybe I felt like murdering my family, but no, I didn't go through with it today. Did I covet my neighbors blank, whatever it is? Well, we're in quarantine, so I don't really see my neighbors. So like, I'm good on that one. Did I go to church this week? Well, it was on and I'm watching it. So kind of, sort of. And I think a lot of us have these checklists what God calls us to do and desires us to do, and we determine our relationship with him by the things that we do instead of the person that we're with and the person that we're worshiping and honoring with our lives. And if you're like me, I can get caught up in this idea as well. And oftentimes, those things that God has called us to are good things, and they're great things. He doesn't want us to steal. He doesn't want us to lie. He doesn't want us to covet. He definitely doesn't want us to murder. At the same time, in doing those things, we can bring our old wineskins of, God, look at all the things that I have done. Look at all the things that I did and how I've loved people. Instead, we miss Jesus at the same time. So when he offers us new wineskin and new cloth, what he is saying is your stuff won't work but mine will. It's a gospel of transformation. It's a gospel of regeneration in our lives. And he's saying, you can't do it, but I can. When he's saying the bridegroom, something new is here, and I am here, and my people will be married and brought to me, and that's important, we can rejoice at that, knowing that Jesus has called us to himself. So whatever it is your old wineskin is, leave it as the old wineskin and step into the newness that Jesus has called you to step into. And I just want to read or talk about a few verses that Jesus has called us to now as his people. Second Corinthians five seventeen says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, I won't read it all. But in verse 1, it starts off by saying this. Once you were dead in transgressions and sins. And then in verse 4, it says this. But Jesus, who is rich in mercy, made you alive. And then verse 10, it says this. For he has called you to do good works, which he determined a long while ago. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might have the righteousness of God. In Ephesians chapter 2, or Ephesians chapter 1, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm just going to point out a few verses. In verses 3 and 4, it says that God chose us and accepted us and called us. Later on, it says that he sealed us with the Spirit and that he adopted us. And more and more and more in the gospel, Jesus is saying there's newness of life in me, but don't get caught up in what you used to do or don't get caught up in things that you think are gonna bring you to me, but just come to me. We are new creations, God's righteousness. We are alive in him. And I think oftentimes we can miss those things because we get caught up in what we have to do instead of the mission that God has called us to do. And he's called you to love him, he's called you to love others, and he's called you to share the gospel and make disciples. And so if Jesus is saying anything here, what he's saying is be on guard in your life that you don't get caught up in the ritualistic things and focus on me. And if we are to do anything in the season, I want to challenge you and encourage you to find time to fast. And don't just fast to fast, right? Don't give up food or social media or technology or whatever else that you feel that God has called you to step away from for a season of time. Instead, focus on Jesus during that time. Give him the next month because within the next month before Christmas comes, there are going to be a lot of distractions. Some of us need to finish our Christmas shopping. Some of us need a plan for people to come over. Some of us are traveling. Uh, some of us need to make home goods. Our Christmas cards are not done yet. We've got to mail those out. We're a little late. We have all of these things that we need to do. And just like the Pharisees, when they asked, why do your disciples not fast? Jesus is saying, you're missing the point because it's not about that. It's about me and it's about who I am. So step into his kingdom and step into his new wineskin and and new cloth because our old stuff won't work. But I'm thankful and I'm glad and I'm excited that what he offers us won't tear and what he offers us won't burst as long as we step into what he has for us and focus on what Jesus has called us to do. Let's go ahead and pray together. Um, Lord, I thank you for today. And I thank you for loving me and being with me. I thank you, Lord, that you have spoken us to us in such deep, intense ways, Lord. I thank you that you have given us your gospel. I thank you that you have given us your words, Lord. I pray, Lord, that this season as Advent starts, that we don't focus on the things that we need to do, but we focus on you, Lord. We don't get distracted, um, but all the things that have to happen and that we're able to focus on you. We thank you that you come and you give us new wineskin and you give us new cloth and you say something better and something more greater is here. And we thank you and we thank you for your gospel, Lord. Uh, give us a great Sunday. In Jesus' name I pray.